Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter's dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed him and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned to the crowd and asked, who touched me? They said, you see the people crowding against you, yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. And he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. I want to tag a title of this text, and I want to talk from this subject. Hopefully, it's some of your affirmations and your declarations. Here it is. I'm sick of this. <laughs> I'm sick of this. I want to use this introduction as an opportunity to introduce some of you to a friend you probably did not know you had. I know you may be assuming that you are aware of who your friends are, but I'd like to inform you that you've got one friend that you may need to revisit and reconsider. There's a friend that you have that you don't often call a friend or even treat as a friend, even though this friend is probably your best friend. You likely diss this friend, dismiss this friend, ghost this friend, avoid this friend, ignore their texts, decline their FaceTimes, leave their DMs on read. However, although you avoid this friend, very few friends add value to your life like this friend. And at this point, you probably want to know who is this friend that's supposedly one of your best friends that you don't treat like a friend because you don't know they are your friend. And I want to introduce you to this friend if you want to know who this friend is. I said, do you want to know the name of this friend? Yeah, this friend's name is Frustration. Yeah, I, I, I want to introduce you to a friend called frustration. Frustration doesn't always feel like your friend. And frustration doesn't always show up looking like a friend. And frustration isn't always perceived to be a friend. But I am telling someone that's sitting in this space today that frustration is your friend. And I call frustration your friend because when I look at the number of times the Bible seems to describe friends, the scriptures seem to suggest that friends don't just make me feel better. 
that friends actually help me become better. And in an attempt for a friend to assist in orchestrating some transformation in my life, at some point they're going to have to give me some agitation. Yeah, this is the way the writer of Proverbs puts it. He says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend, my assumption is a friend would never wound me. I believe what the writer's inferring here is not that a friend will hurt your life, but sometimes your friends will injure your ego to preserve your future. A uh, did you hear what I just said? Yeah, yeah. I, I said sometimes a friend will say, I'm willing to risk hurting your feelings if it's actually going to preserve your future. I am willing to risk agitating you if it's going to elevate you. A friend is saying, I love you more than I love our relationship. And so because I love you more than I love the relationship, I'm willing to say some things, call you out on some things, challenge you in some areas so that you don't settle for a life that is less than God's best for you and I want to talk to some people in this room who are walking in and walking through a season of frustration I am telling you that all frustration is is a indication that you no longer belong on the level you at did you hear what I just said I said all frustration is is an indication that you no longer belong on the level you at. It is a gift from God and sometimes it's God himself. He says because if I don't start making you frustrated and making you agitated, you will stay stuck in places and spaces that you know you got to get out of. You will settle in ways that you have not been designed and called to settle. And I know some people in this room are getting ready to blow up from the flow up and the reason I can say that with confidence is this you are more blessed than you've ever hey. at the same time you're more frustrated than you've ever been before and this frustration is a divine agitation it's when God won't let you be comfortable it's when God won't let you sit in a space that is less than your potential it's the way God moves you out of things that's outserved their season did you hear me just because it helped you in your past doesn't mean it's a sign for your future. Sometimes Elijah the brook dries up and I need to move you to a different place. But if I don't start frustrating you, watch this, you will not demand more out of you. And if I don't start frustrating you, you also won't demand more out of them. Because settling is not just revealed in how you treat yourself. Settling is also revealed in how you allow others to treat you. But the enemy's upset that you pulled up to the Roxy tonight. Because what you're getting is some divine permission to make some adjustments in some areas of your life that's going to send you to acceleration and transformation and elevation. If I'm talking to you already, don't wait till the battle's over. Somebody shout right now. I'm looking for the honest section. I don't know if it's in the floor. I don't know if it's in the balcony. I'm looking for the honest section that will be honest and say, there are some areas I'm frustrated. 
I don't even know why. I don't even know why. And I'm struggling, Dr. Darius, with embracing my frustration because I don't want to be a person that lacks appreciation. God's good to me. And I don't want to dismiss his goodness. I don't want to minimize how blessed I am. Dr. Darius, I'm aware that there are people who would love to trade problems with me. Yet at the same time, if you want me to be emotionally honest, as blessed as I am, there's still something on the inside of me that keeps telling me there's more. And I don't know who this is for tonight. I just came to confirm your conviction that there's more. And sometimes God's got to use that frustration to get you to engage in some acceleration and get out of there. I don't know who this is for, but it's time to get out of that level. It's time to get out of that thinking. It's time to get out of that mentality. Did you hear what I just said? It's a, it's a holy frustration. I want you to catch this, family. I want you to catch this. Frust God uses frustration. He uses frustration, first of all, to give us motivation. Somebody say motivation. Yeah, it's God's way of ensuring we don't settle in places and spaces we no longer belong in. It's, watch this. It's God's way of giving us acceleration. Somebody say acceleration. See, you will sit in certain seasons and I will sit in certain seasons until the pain of the season becomes greater than the pain of change. I'm looking for my honest section. Where is it? If this is the honest section, wait, but say, Dr. Darius, you know, there are times where I look back over my life and there were times I knew I should have made a move sooner than I made a move. But the truth of the matter is I had to get sick enough. I had to get frustrated enough to engage in a move in this season that I should have made in last season. And I want to tell somebody that the enemy may be articulating this in your imagination. He may try to be trying to get you to feel like because you didn't do it then, it's too late now. But there's this biblical concept called redemption. And there's this prophet called Joel who applies that concept to time. He calls God a redeemer of time. And redeem means to buy back. So when God redeems time, he doesn't give you more time. He says, I'm going to take the time you got left. And I'm going to do so much in the time you got left. It makes up for the time you wasted. I don't know who this is for, but I just want to testify. God did more in my life in one year than had happened in the last 10. And I don't know who this is for, but I want you to know God can open one door and that one door be so amazing that it make up for 10 doors you miss. And the enemy has you discouraged and defeated and in dismay and in despair. But can we just for seven and a half seconds give God a retroactive praise? This is for the stuff I should have got back then that you're getting ready to give to me right now. This is for the stuff 
that you wanted to give me, but I wasn't wise enough. I wasn't grounded enough. I wasn't mature enough. And the enemy wants me to think I'm going to miss that. But God, you're getting ready to spin the block and bring it back to me one more time. And this time I'm ready. I'm ready now. I'm ready now. I'm ready now. I'm ready now. Open that door and see if I'm not ready, God. Send it my way and see if I'm not ready, God. Send that contract my way and see if I'm not ready, God. Send me my husband and see if I'm... I'm ready now. I'm ready. It gives motivation. It gives acceleration. But watch this. Are y'all ready for this, family? The frustration also causes recreation. Come on, come on. I said frustration doesn't just cause motivation, doesn't just cause acceleration. It causes recreation. You see, are y'all ready for this? God looked out in Genesis and saw that his prized possession and prized creation was not functioning according to his original intent. And he told Moses, I'm going to start over, build the ark. God said, I got to start over. Take two of everything, put it in the ark. I got to start over. I'm going to recreate this thing. Are y'all ready? God said, I'm about to do a do-over. And if God recreates, if God creates, then examines what he creates and sees that it needs to make some adjustments. And if God decides to give himself a do-over, what makes you think that God can't give you a do-over and the opportunity to recreate some things in your life? Your frustration is a gift. I want you to catch this. But here's the interesting thing about a gift. Y'all all right? I got 15 minutes and 25 seconds. Don't hold any of your amens. Throw them all out. Here it is. Here it is. If frustration is a gift, and it is, your experience with it is not determined by the giver. Your experience with it is determined by the receiver. Because a giver can give you gifts you don't use. Somebody think I got plenty of them, Pastor Darius, right at home. Am I making sense? Salvation is a gift. But we determine what we do with it. God's spirit is a gift. But we determine what we do with it. The scriptures are a gift. But we determine what we do with them. And frustration is a gift. But we determine if it leads to stagnation or transformation. We all can have frustration. 
And one person can use frustration in a way that leads to elevation and transformation. And another person can use frustration in a way that simply leads them to stagnation. But I believe I got the right people in the rock city today. I believe I am talking to some people. See, you don't, you don't show up at a space like this if you okay with average. Did you hear what I just said? I said, you don't show up in a space like this if you're okay with average. Some of you are actually growing allergic to it. And you're starting to break out in hives and you, you, you get agitated around it. And there are some people who are not growing at the rate and pace that you are growing that are misinterpreting your agitation. And they're confusing it with arrogance. That, that now they're assuming that you feel like you're better than them. And you're like, I'm not even thinking about you. I'm just trying to be better than the last version of me. I'm not upset with you. I'm upset with me because I know there's more in me. I know I'm called to more. I know I'm anointed for more. And I refuse in this season of my life to settle any longer. I'm sick of it. And in these 12 minutes I got left, I want to tell you about this woman. <laughs> Who wants to teach you and me what to do when you sick of it? She, she, she's right here in, in Mark chapter 5. We're, we're not introduced to her. This is so weird. I, I, we're going to have to deal with this later. I don't have time. This is, this is so weird because Mark 5 is not about this woman. <laughs> this, this woman's not even a star in this story. Right? Mark 5, the latter part of Mark 5, verse 22, it opens with nothing about this woman. This woman is so not the star in this story. We don't even know her name. Mark doesn't even tell us her name, but Mark opens up in verse number 22 and Mark says there's a man named Jairus who was a synagogue ruler who comes to Jesus and says, my daughter is dying. I want you to understand how significant it is for Mark to put this in here. Because if Jairus was a synagogue ruler, it means he was the person that was elected as ruler of the synagogue and responsible for supervising worship, running the weekly school, and caring for the building. Now, many of these people had close ties to the Pharisees. And so synagogue leaders and Pharisees did not look favorably upon Jesus. Which means that this man heard of Jesus probably through his colleagues or peers. And his first introduction to Jesus from them was probably not a favorable one. Because Mark gives us no record of Jairus approaching Jesus before the crisis. Are y'all following me here? 
Yeah. So before his daughter gets sick, we have no record of Jairus approaching Jesus because he's a synagogue ruler. And I don't know. I don't know. This is just a hypothesis, but it is possible he had formed a conclusion about Jesus based on the jaded perspective of his peers. Isn't it amazing how people have an opinion about you that don't know you? Watch this. So, but when his daughter gets sick, when what he gave birth to, when he, when what he gave birth to starts losing its life, now he has to run to the He has to run to the same man that his peers and his colleagues were probably talking negatively about. Jesus was valuable to his life all along, but it took the right crisis for him to see Jesus' value. And I want to tell somebody that's in this place today that just because people don't see your value doesn't mean you don't have value. There's nothing wrong with your value. There's something wrong with their vision. So, so don't question your value. Question their vision. Because just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. But if you keep on talking, God will arrange a crisis where you <laughs> he'll arrange a crisis that forces you to see value you didn't want to recognize in a previous season I just want to talk to some people tonight and just tell you give it a little time give it a little time they don't appreciate you now but give it a little time they don't see it now but give it a little time listen to this he comes to Jesus and said, my daughter's dying. I need you to come and lay hands on her. Wait a minute. The daughter isn't there. The father's there. So the daughter isn't in a position to approach Jesus directly. But the father does. So it's not the daughter's faith that's at work here. It's the fathers. I know we've heard, many of us at least have heard of intercessory prayer. This text reveals intercessory faith. Because there are some people in your life that are incapable of believing for themselves. Like Lazarus was. But Jesus responded to the faith of Mary and Martha. Jesus responded to the faith of, of this man named Jairus. And I want to show y'all something. I, until this week when I was preparing this lesson, I'd never seen this in all of my years. I've been reading the Bible since I was 15. I've been preaching it since I was 19. I've never seen this this way. It's verse 24, Mark chapter 5. This is what it says. So Jesus went with him. Uh, 
you waiting on what's next. That's it. So Jesus went with him. I've been reading this text so long. I preached my very first sermon, February 14th, 1999, from this text. I never saw this. So Jesus went with him. I'm waiting on somebody to get it. So Jesus went with him. Most of the time in scripture, we see people going with Jesus. But the text says, so Jesus went with him. This is the kind of faith I want to have. I don't want just the kind of faith that allows me to walk with God. I want the kind of faith that'll make God walk. Is there anybody in this room that wants that kind of faith? To say, I don't want to just walk with God, but I want to have the kind of faith that's so attractive that it makes God walk with me. He said, you going to Atlanta? I'm going there. You going to New Jersey? I'm going there. You going to Orlando? I'm going there. <laughs> so Jesus went with him. Y'all all right? I got four minutes. Can I have seven? Okay, here it is. Here it is. So Jesus went with him. That's the only reason you saying in the membrane. Because you thought you left him. But he went with you. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, when you tried to walk away, he went with you. And when you were wrong, he went with you and protected you. Come on, talk to me now. Sovereign grace. Paul talks about it when he says, he, he says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Say, even when you in play, even when Cain was wrong, when Cain was wrong, God corrected him, judged him, but then marked him. And the marking was for his protection. The marking was to let everybody else know, don't you touch him. He wrong, but don't you touch him. He shouldn't have done what he did, but don't you touch him. Yeah, he, he, he's, out of, he's out of line, but don't you touch him. That's what we feel about our own kids, right? Yeah, I'm a fit. I got him. So Jesus went with him. Give me verse 24 back on the screens, please. And the text says, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. This imagery is so important. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Don't miss this. While he's walking to Jairus' house, there's a woman who dealt with what one translation calls an issue of blood. The NIV calls nonstop bleeding for 12 years. It says that her issue was causing issues. 
Sometimes we don't have issues. We got an issue. And the issue is causing the issues. The issue is the issue of blood. The issues are, one, financial. Because she spent all she had. That's in the text. She spent all she had. Got me? Okay. Two, relational. Because according to the custom of this day, the writer talks about it in Leviticus. It says when a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than a monthly period or as a discharge that continues beyond a period, she will be unclean as long as she has a discharge. So she's in isolation. Quarantined. From her family. From her friends. From her loved ones. 12 years. They couldn't text each other. There's no FaceTime. How does she get encouragement? How does she get help? See, I want you, I'm trying to paint this picture so you can see the miracle before the miracle. Because she made it 12 years under those circumstances. See, sometimes we're so busy looking for the next miracle, we're missing the present one. Did you hear what I just said? See, we want to jump to the fact, watch this, we want to jump to the fact where Jesus deals with the issue of blood and we're missing the fact that this woman survived for 12 years. See, sometimes your miracle isn't just seen in your deliverance. Sometimes your miracle is seen in your survival. And I need somebody to just look back at some things you survived and some things you made it through and some things you should not have come out of. Don't miss a miracle looking for one. Let me wrap up. Y'all tired of me and y'all ready to go home. Here it is. Here it is. So because she's quarantined and she has nobody to talk to, Mark says that she says to herself. Did you hear what I just said? Because nobody else could say it to her. So she had to say it to herself. Because the most important person that will talk to you besides God is you. And I am telling some of you that some of your frustration with people in your life is really God's way of giving you some education. God saying you upset with them because they not there. But I supernaturally sabotaged your codependency. Because when the bottom fell out, you called them first and not me. When the bottom fell out, you ran to them for solutions and not me. You believe so much in them that you didn't believe in yourself. So I'm going to put you in a season of isolation and quarantine where you can't even tell everybody what your issue is. And then when no one else can talk to you, you got to talk to yourself. And I came to give somebody permission here to talk to yourself. And I know some people may say, if you talk to yourself, you're crazy. But there are some of us in this room that can say the only reason I hadn't gone crazy is because I've known how to talk to myself. 
They don't know what you've wrestled with. They don't know what you've gone through. They have no idea the thoughts you've had to battle in your own head. They have no idea the struggle and the strain and the stress. They have no idea the emotional wrestling matches that you've been engaged in, but you had to talk to yourself. You had to tell yourself, get up out of this bed. You had to tell yourself, I'm not about to let a breakup break me. The devil is a liar. I got to get myself together. She said, if I could touch the hem, the bottom part of his garment, I'll be made whole. Wait a minute. She said, if I could touch. That's the latter part of the text. The first part of the text is where Jarius says, Jesus, come to my house so you can touch. Jarius said, Jesus, come to my house and lay your hand on my daughter. That's what Jarius said to Jesus. And Jesus went with him. But the text says, this woman didn't say anything to Jesus first. She said something to herself. She said, if I could touch. See, the way Jarius' faith was set up, he need Jesus to do the touching. But the way this woman's faith was set up, she like, you ain't even got to come to my house. You ain't even got to ring my doorbell. The way my faith is set up, I don't even need to touch you. I just need to touch what's touching you. And if I touch what's touching you, is there anybody that's got radical faith that says you ain't even got to do it that way, Jesus? Because God meets you at the point of your faith. And if your faith requires him to come to your house, then that's the way you get the miracle. But that ain't the only way he can get it. There was a centurion who was a Roman military official who oversaw 100 soldiers who came to Jesus because he had a sick servant. And Jesus said, what's your address? The centurion said, you ain't even got to pull up. The centurion said, I'm a man in authority. So when I speak, my soldiers move. And I know just like I'm an authority in the military, you got authority over my servant body. So you ain't even got to come to my house. Just speak the word. Because the way my faith is set up, I just need you to speak it. And I believe some of us have put your faith in a process instead of a person. You think he got to come to your house. It take him longer to get to your house than it does to speak it. See, some things you think have to take a long time can, be, can happen shortly. If you shift your faith from a process to a person. Does God make us wait? Sometimes. That don't mean all the time. Some of us act like we got to wait all the time. Now faith is the substance of things. So now faith is the substance. Now faith is the now. Faith is now. Faith is not being. Faith is now. I'm out of time. Here it is. The woman says, if I could touch the hem of his garment. Now, y'all ready for this? Because I believe we got some sisters like this in the room. This is my kind of sister right here in this text. 
Now, I just read to you Leviticus, which says she's considered unclean. But I also read to you in Mark 5, 24, that there was a large crowd around Jesus. So for her to get to Jesus, she had to get through the crowd, which means she was breaking some religious protocol. Because those people's proximity to her should have rendered them unclean. But when you need a miracle, you distinguish between religious protocol and faith that expresses itself through works. This woman said, I don't care what you think about me because I tried it your way and I'm still bleeding. I tapped my toe and I turned around three times and I said, I'm coming in a Honda and it didn't change. You told me if I would scream, all my debt would be eliminated and it wouldn't. I tried your way. Now free me from your religious protocol. Just let me get to Jesus. I'm out of here. But she, the text says, she pressed her way and she touched him. And the text says, Jesus stopped. Y'all missed it? I said, it says, she touched him and then Jesus stopped. Wait a minute. I know when we use faith, we want to utilize faith to get them to move. But this woman's faith made them stop. There's a kind of faith that'll make them, y'all missing this? He's on his way to perform a supposedly time-sensitive miracle for somebody else. But he said, on my way to do it for somebody else, I'm going to stop for a minute and do it for you. Somebody throw your hands in there and say, do it for me. Do it for me. I want you to do it for them, but do it for me. I want you to bless them, but bless me. Jesus stopped. I'm out of here and said, who touched me? And the disciples said, what do you mean? You see all this crowd? Y'all hear me in the back in the back there? I, he, he said, you, you hear this, you hear this, you see this crowd? They say, what do you mean? Everybody touching you. Like people were literally reaching over people to touch him. But he stopped and said, no, no, no. Faith feel different. Faith, I know everybody doing it. But when they do it with faith, it feel different. I know everybody's screaming, but when they scream with faith, it sound different. I, I know everybody's touching me, but when they touch me with faith, it does something. Are y'all ready for this? <laughs> Jesus said, I felt virtue go out of me. Which means that faith, I'm over time. It means that faith touched his power. And she got a miracle without permission. He didn't even know who it was. He stopped and said, who touched me? And the Bible says that the woman felt in her body. She had been healed. And it says she came to him and told him the whole truth. 
Don't miss this. See, sometimes the only person you can tell the whole truth to. I'm going to leave that alone. It's Jesus. I I'm not saying be deceptive. I'm not saying lie. What I'm saying is everybody can't handle the whole version of your testimony. For some people, you just got to say, he delivered me. Let me, let me. <laughs> For some people, you just got to tell them he made a way. For some people, you just got to tell them God is good. Is there anybody here that God's brought you from so far? The only person you can tell the whole testimony to is Jesus. I'm done, Tario. Here it is. Text says this. Jesus said to the woman, daughter, your faith has healed you. That's not the part of the text that stuck out to me. Here it is. Part of the text that stuck out to me is this. He told her, go in peace. That's the part that stuck out to me. I'm done because this is what I want to pray into you tonight. He said, go in, the, go in peace. This is so interesting. Text didn't say she had a peace problem. Said she had a, an issue. But he probably told her to go in peace. This is interesting. Because she's probably healed physically. But still wondering mentally. How long is this going to last? I know it stopped now, but if I wake up in the morning, will it be back? How long is this going to? So she could have been healed literally physically, but still being tormented emotionally. And guys, this is where I want to land this plane tonight, and I am done. I want to get you out of here, but I want you to, I want you to catch this. The go in peace was just as important as your faith has made you whole. Because if not, she could have potentially lived the rest of her life physically healed, but emotionally tormented. This is what I believe God burdened my heart with for us tonight. Because that's the thing you got to get sick of. Not just what's happening with you financially. Not just what's happening with you relationally. Not just what's happening with you professionally. You got to get sick of the emotional torment. The fear that you have about the future. It's tormenting you. Waiting for the bottom to fall out. Can it can experience and soak in the joy of the Lord? Because you're being tormented about the future. 
And I believe this is the place this passage wants to push us tonight. Where you say, I'm sick of that. I'm sick of not being good here and here. I'm sick of not being able to enjoy God's goodness. And God, I want you to free me from that issue. Because that's the issue that has you bleeding. You losing life. You bleeding out peace. You bleeding out joy. You bleeding out focus. Because you're being tormented by the fear of the future. Holy Spirit asked me once, my pa- I had great parents, but we grew up in poverty. Poverty is traumatizing. I know people try to make it like, it's traumatizing. And I remember there was a time in my life where the Holy Spirit asked me, Darius, are you led or are you driven now? And if you're driven, what's doing the driving? Are you being led by me or are you being driven by fear? Because fear about the next won't let you, won't let you enjoy the now. I'm not telling you to be complacent. I'm saying at some point, if you're going to be happy, you have to learn contentment. I'm godly, but the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm sick of being tormented. That's the issue that has you bleeding. And tonight, my assignment is to partner with you in faith, I want to be a Jarius tonight. To say, Jesus, there are some people in this room that need you to deal with the issue that has them bleeding. And I believe God's going to move in our hearts tonight. just said I want your faith to get there now put your faith in a person not a process Lord you can do it with a touch because I've tried the conventional ways to get over this I've tried everything they told me to do to fix this I tried to fix it and it didn't work so I need you to do it supernaturally Father I thank you tonight I trust to the best of my ability I've shared what you burdened my heart to share and I pray That as your word does not return to you void, it accomplishes all you sent it to do. I pray right now that you would deal with the issue that's causing the issues. I pray for people who are emotionally tormented. Your word says that perfect love casts out fear. Once we get a revelation of your love for us, it removes fear. I pray that you would do that now. that we would go in peace and be free from that suffering. And 
we say unto you what the Lord said unto Moses at the Red Sea, the enemy you see today is an enemy you will see no more. In Jesus' name, amen. Clap your hands all over this house. Come on, ATL. I said clap your hands all over this house. Well, you got another episode. Good morning, good morning, good morning, people. That's Pastor D of Change Church. You always can find him on YouTube, Pastor Darius Daniel. Change Church. Where's your faith? Come on now. Are you sick of it? Let's do it. The things that God.